Daddy's Weird, the Gay Dad Podcast with Alex Megan and Young Daniel. Hello and welcome to Daddy Square, the Gay Dad Podcast. I'm Jan. I'm Alex. And we're here with Stephen and Spencer. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. Hello. Stephen and Spencer are about to have kids, so they're thinking about having kids. Wait, and is there something I didn't about know about? About in like two to three years. I was yeah. going to say, I think you have to watch your time <laughs> frames. Yes. To me, that sounds like it could happen tomorrow. Or you guys week. are getting married first, right? Yes. Did you, do you start, did you start making plans? We started talking about engagement parties. Okay. But You're no. taking it very slow, I see. Very slow. <laughs> we just want to enjoy it. Career life has our time extremely limited right now. So wait, 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 wait. Planning it as You want can. to enjoy it? No. <laughs> okay, let me explain. The parties associated with getting married are not for enjoyment. They are for maybe your parents' enjoyment, for your friends' enjoyment. You are supposed to suffer through this process. Also, some people don't suffer, Alex. I mean, Not actually, everybody like. I me. actually enjoyed my wedding. I know you. My did. husband didn't, but you have to. You have to rent the swans quickly. I assume you're going to have doves. swans and oh. the doves, right? It's going to be a whole magic show. <laughs> <laughs> We arrived in a new era uh, this week, Alex. We did? We asked a mom from our kids' class to drop her kid to oh. play with our kids. And it was like a whole new thing oh God, for it us. So it's the first great. time we did play it. Playdates. Well, so we've had... So it's playdates. But usually you have to entertain the parents too, which is like, bleh. You don't want to do it. Okay, like, so just in case any of the parents are listening, it's not <laughs> bleh. Uh, but... but, but <laughs> is no, really required. But I actually think that the more interesting part of it is we've we've had plenty of play dates with other parents before, but we haven't yet done this thing where we take somebody else's kid and the parent goes and has a good time or does whatever she does. And I actually think that that was I was a little nervous about it. Me too. But it was great. I mean, they had such a good time with each other. The kids they had a better time with each other with him than when they're on their own with each other. You know, killing each other. And it was actually I think easier for us during that several hour period oh, yeah. than if they ha- if the kid hadn't been there. Is that considered babysitting? I think, way, yeah. I think it's I think it's still yeah. classified as a, as yeah. a play date. Um, yeah, but it's play date slash babysitting. Right. Yeah, I yeah. would say that. Now, yeah, the thing is that the, the fact that we had to entertain the parents, it's kind of exhausting. Like you feel exhausted. At no, the you end, feel but, exhausted. Well, you know, I just like to do my thing. I know. And when the kids are, you know, entertain themselves, that's the ideal. Sure. I wanted to actually raise something uh, that went through my mind when this lovely mom who we know, you know, through the school, who we always have a great time with, she brought her son over yesterday afternoon and dropped him off. And she like threw the kid at me and the kid knows us and everything was great. She said, I'm so excited to get out of here. And she hops in her car and she drives away. Perfect. Perfection. Right. But I want to just admit something that went through my mind, which was for a moment, for a moment. Is she coming back? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Interesting. Um, Well, I think that's the question that all, all people should ask about parents when parents drive away. Cause you know, LAX is not that far. Um, No. um, I said to myself for a second, I wonder if she even has a twinge of, Oh, I'm, leaving my kid with two gay men right like now i doubt it 
I, I think this is something I've made up in my head about her head, but I think it just goes to show. Shivan is nodding. Well, I, I'm just saying I see her speed tracks on the on the pavement outside, so I don't think that she had that thought. <laughs> That's true. She's like, home free. <laughs> right. right. But, you know, it's sort of like we've all been conditioned to think, no matter how much we live here in L.A., in the bubble and all that, I have been conditioned to think that people think about me in at least for a moment a slightly different way and they say to themselves oh you know is he's he, a pervert is he a pervert and what kind of pervert and how perverted is he right and it was dispelled almost immediately because she i know her and she's amazing and all that but like it, it is more about myself than about her that it makes me feel sad that that still exists in my it's head. kind of self-hatred no well, you know, I grew up in Utah. I have several stories that fall right along with that. I have um, three brothers and three sisters. When I was probably 21, my my brother was maybe 16, and my younger sister was probably 11 or 12. So they were watching Shawshank Redemption. Dad was gone. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been able to watch wow. that. But there's that famous scene with Andy, the lead character, when the prisoners tried to detain him and rape him yep. basically and my little sister was like what are they doing to him and she he goes they're gay <laughs> and i was oh, like God. oh lord right lord. i had to come out that's what gay means at <laughs> yeah. that point right and then a couple weeks later we were driving on the freeway and i and you don't really see this in a place like utah but there was a p flag billboard someone oh. you know and love is gay right same brother i don't know anyone who's gay and i just was like I know like oh, yes, three you of your do. friends that are gay. Right. You just don't know it. Right. Yet. And still but, don't know it. You yeah, know? Yeah. So when I came out, I had to like dis explain to them, no, I'm not confused with my gender. No, I don't want to be a, a woman or a drag queen. Right. Yeah. No, I'm not a pedophile. Right. You know, like some people just have been culturally programmed and conditioned to think that. So I can, yeah. I can understand yeah. why you, of course they've come 180 degrees. They're wonderful and exciting right. and have had an education just by having me be in their family. but Well, and I think that's exactly the point. I mean, the reason why after my instant like kind of moment of uh, fibrillation about it, I realized how absurd it was is because this woman herself lives in a community where she has, I mean, I, I actually don't know everything about her, but she lives amongst so many gay men and, and women. And, you know, she, she is part of a community that is so accepting and has really quite a long history now i don't know 30 40 mm -hmm. years of seeing this kind of stuff all around them that yeah i don't think she has that even for an instant in her heart but i do you know right. i have the fear that she has the fear i don't i don't have those thoughts that go through my mind because i think just being raised in a different time mm that it became and was becoming more accepting as I was growing up. So right. those fears, I wouldn't have thought what you thought. Right. Well, you know, I, FDR was the president when I was only 25 years right. old. What's our, our age range here? I'm 43. Stephen's 31. 52. Fresh 31. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got so, like three decades. Yeah. Yes. You know, we have seen a big shift in generally the public views you know oh my god there's still yeah. those pockets that are super reserved and you know what after she comes back to pick him up i think it's like probably going to be more in, of an indication of how it was because he didn't want to come home 
Oh, oh you didn't whoa. see this part? No, I, I was like I running. No, I just want to stay here. I want to sleep here. I just, I'm like, yeah, you have to go home. <laughs> yeah, John's like, no, here's your I'm, bag. <laughs> totally get out, kid. <laughs> oh, didn't we tell you, you have to take our children with you also <laughs> when you go. That is clear. I want to shift to our subject today. Today we're talking about adoption. I want to summarize before we start, like what type of adoption there are. So we have the uh, foster to adopt, which is, which is the government route. We have a private attorney and we have private agency. And private agency actually divided to two. We have a private agency, which is a business and a private agency, which is a nonprofit organization. Right. And today we're going to understand more about the nonprofit organizations. Uh, there is a nonprofit organization called Friends in Adoption that works throughout the country and helps placing babies with adoptive families. We have Tara Saltis. She's the executive uh, director of this organization. She works uh, in the main office in Vermont. And we have Jean Charles. He's an adoption marketing specialist and a gay dad who actually went through this uh, process himself. He's from New York. So we kind of... We were, glo- a, yeah. we were global, Babel. To- totally. we were national. <laughs> yeah. And Stephen was, and Spencer were with us when we interviewed them. So we all four of us uh, had a discussion about adoption. And before we go to that, let's Ooh, hear Oh, I get from to you. do my thing about... Yeah, let's hear your wonderful voice, Alex. making babies. <clears throat> Daddy Squared, the Gay Dad Podcast Season 3 is sponsored by Love is Family by ORM Fertility, your gateway to fatherhood. Research begins at loveisfamily.com. I just nailed yeah, that. Yeah. Executed perfectly. Love, love. And I Our, love how that finishes. It really is. Love is family. Love is yeah. family. You know, I had this incredible aunt who, uh, an uncle, just treasured. They live very close, so they were kind of like almost like immediate extended family growing up. But they had four children that they adopted. Wow. Two black kids, two white kids. That was interesting just seeing for her the racial thing mm-hmm. in a very white kind of right. sector of the U.S. And her kids are incredible. And they have a loving family. And that was really an education for me to see what it's like to to build a family. It doesn't always have to be the traditional way. And, yeah. And I'm excited to explore this with, with these. Amazing. Uh, All right. Let's go to guys. the interview. Tara and John Charles, good morning to you guys. Good morning. morning. Both of you, of course, from uh, Friends in Adoption. And I would like to start with uh, the cost. What are the cost of adoption? So I can speak to that a little bit. And hopefully by the end of this call, we'll we'll decide that that's not the most important part because there's so much involved, but that is definitely what everyone wants to know. I would, I would like um, to just override my husband for a second and point out, I don't think that he meant that it's the most important part. Um, raising a child is probably slightly more important than the And cost. it is a very good question, and it is one that we hear all the time. So thank you for asking. The average cost to adopt, whether you decide to adopt with a private, licensed, nonprofit adoption agency like Friends in Adoption or another agency or even to adopt privately just using attorneys and not using an agency is pretty consistent. The average is about $45,000. And, you know, there is a wide range and it a lot of it does depend on your situation, how long you're waiting, um, the pregnant individuals that you're matched with and what their needs are as far as legally allowable expenses. Um, but that is a pretty good average. And just to give you a quick overview on what that covers, 
and in our case, it co- part of it covers our agency fee. Our agency fee is $22,000. And the, the rest of the expenses are, for example, your attorney, the attorney for the birth parents that you're working with, counseling fees, um, home study fees, post-placement fees, things like that. I am proud to say that our agency fee has not increased in almost six years. So we really do work hard as a nonprofit licensed agency to keep the cost as reasonable as possible. Um, And essentially our agency fee, everyone says, what does it cover? It really covers case management services. So, you know, for individuals like Stephen and Spencer who are considering adopting, they would have their own case manager from the first time they reached out to us to ask questions, decide if adoption's right for them, decide if we're right for them, right through them deciding to work with us. And then we would guide them through working on their home study, working on their adoption profile, right through to them becoming matched with a pregnant individual or couple and through the placement and finalization. And then we also are a lifelong resource. So we we keep in touch with our adoptive families. We've been around for almost 40 years. We have an annual picnic every year. Everyone gets together. You have kids from newborns to 25-year-olds. Um, so we it really does cover that cost from the adoptive family's perspective of case management and of being a resource. It also covers the cost of all the case management we provide to the individuals who reach out to us who are looking at their options. And, you know, something I am very proud of is the fact that we receive inquiries from about 300 individuals a year who are pregnant or parenting and considering their options from all over the country. And we provide counseling and support and education. We provide help with housing if they're, if they need that help, if we need to help stabilize them, um, help, you know, getting into a doctor, getting to appointments, help with clothes and food and things like that so that really they they can be in the best space possible to look at all of their options, one of which might be adoption. Out of those 300 inquiries that we do a year on average, we do about 30 placements. So, you know, the, the part of the agency fee covers case management services to individuals who may not decide on adoption, but we've literally helped hundreds of people to be able to truly look into all of their options and decide what's best for them. And that's kind of it in a nutshell for the cost. I will say that uh, many of our families have received grants. Um, There are some amazing granting organizations. I will say helpusadopt.org in New York City is really great. They've given grant money to a few of our families. Um, They're a great organization. There are other organizations that give grants to help families with the cost of adoption. The adoption tax credit benefits many of our families. And more and more, we're seeing a lot of employer assistance for our families. Um, And it's not just big companies. Some smaller locally owned companies either have adoption assistance programs available or their HR department is willing to work with families to possibly set that up. So a big part of what we try to do is keep the cost as reasonable as possible while still providing great services, but also help the families afford whatever the cost ends up being for them. So if you do this uh, in a public, using the public adoption model, um, the government- You mean the uh, private agency? No. When you when you do public adoption, okay. uh, right? You're, through the foster care system. Yeah, through the foster care system. Is there any government money that can be given to parents who adopt through the private model? Unfortunately, not that I'm aware of other than the adoption tax credit. They would probably consider that government money. Um, but I, I really, I do wish because, you know, one thing that we hear a lot is, you know, why is it so expensive to adopt through a private agency? You're a nonprofit. I, I could just adopt through foster care for free. And while I definitely think adopting through foster care is a great option for some people, there are many, many children who need homes and foster care. 
it isn't free. It, you know, it does cost a lot of money, but it, it's just that the adoptive family doesn't typically have to pay for those services. So I do wish that there was more available to our families, um, but they do typically, you know, they do typically end up figuring out a way to make it work. We also will go into detail with our families about different ideas too, as far as, you know, potentially borrowing from 401ks, where at least then they are paying themselves themselves back at typically a reasonable interest rate, um, you know, accessing a home equity line of credit on their home if that's available. We do have some families that have done fundraisers to help offset the cost of adoption. So, you know, we work with families from all different backgrounds and some families um, don't have a problem affording the cost and other families really, it's a struggle, but we really, if they want to do this, we will work with them as, as much as we can to try to make it happen for them. Have you noticed that there's any sort of a difference in the outcome with families that adopt um, newborns versus children that have been in the foster system for a little bit? I, I don't, I mean, I guess it would depend what outcome. Um, I think that, I mean, typically we place newborns, although we do place older children occasionally. And, and by older children, I mean, maybe, you know, a one-year-old or a three-year-old that happens rarely, maybe once a year on average. Um, so I, you know, as far as long-term outcomes, um, you know, I think that as long as, the adoptive family has the support of whoever helped them to adopt to kind of go through whatever hurdles might come up down the road, then I think they'll be okay. You know, life can be hard, whether that's related to adoption or just life in general. So I do think that it's important to, to really be connected to professionals who can help guide you. Um, and just because this is new to us and I didn't realize that there was, you know, nonprofits out there for adoption. What, aside from what you had just mentioned, what are some of the, the other key differences between foster care um, and uh, nonprofit? So I think with foster care, really the goal is reunification. So, you know, we have had families come to us to decide to try to adopt through a private agency rather than continue to go through foster care because they've had children in their home that they hoped to adopt. And, you know, that that hasn't worked out, which which is unfortunate for the family who really provided a great home for the child and bonded with the child, but really is good news when you look at the purpose of the foster care system, which is providing a safe place for the child while their birth parents can do whatever they need to do to be able to parent. So, you know, I think when, when foster care succeeds and reunification is achieved, it's, it's great for the, it's great for the kids in the fam, the birth family, but the adoptive family, unfortunately still, they're still not parents and that's their goal. Do you happen to know anything about like what the stats are on reunification versus sort of uh, adoption, ongoing adoption in the foster system? I don't, I don't have any, no, because that's, that's not what we do regularly. I don't have any really right. detailed stats. Um, but if I had to guess, I would say, you know, maybe half and half. I, I do think that, you know, with, with what I just said being the case for some people, um, some people do successfully adopt through foster care. Right. So I definitely think that it is, it is something that can be a successful route to parenthood for many families. And, you know, the thing is too, you could decide to adopt with friends in adoption or with another private nonprofit agency and you could also have a fall through. And that's something that, you know, it, it does happen. And one thing about us is that we really try to be transparent because the the journey to become parents can be difficult. Many people have started their journeys even before we meet them. Um, just like parenting and life can be difficult. So, you know, we do, we do have, typically we have about five or six fall throughs a year. And that means that um, an adoptive family is matched with a pregnant individual or couple. And before the baby is placed with the adoptive family, the birth parents decide to parent, whether the 
pregnant individual is still pregnant or whether the baby's been born and is in the hospital. So that does happen five or six times a year. Um, and it's very difficult for our families, but we, you know, as much as possible, we prepare them for that possibility and we continue to work with them and, and give them whatever they need. We offer counseling, we offer for them to take some time away from the process for a little while if that's what they need. Um, but as long as they are, you know, as long as they're determined and they really want to adopt, we're with them until they adopt. So I think that's important too. I think the road can be bumpy in foster care, but it can be bumpy in private adoption as well. And the best thing we can do is just try to really educate and support everybody throughout the process. So through the process, what's been like the average, I guess, um, time for completion from start to finish? That's a great question. So basically our average wait time, it's about 14 months. um, And the way that we measure that is from when you become active to when you become matched. So if you decide to work with friends in adoption or really any adoption agency, you would have to go through the home study process and have a home study completed and you would have to create an adoption profile. Once those two things are done with friends in adoption, you're considered active. We post your profile on the website, pregnant individuals can find you and tell us they want to learn more about you. You're active. So from that point in time, until when you become matched. The average time is 14 months. Um, I will say that for the past several years, people have been moving through more quickly. Um, I would say most people don't wait longer than a year. Right now we have a couple of families who just hit the year mark. So the good news is overall people are not waiting as long as they used to, uh, but it could happen. Um, And then as far as actually getting to that point of being active, getting the home study done, getting the profile done, if you are ready to go and really do a lot of paperwork and um, do a lot of work gathering your pictures and creating your profile text, you could become active in about I would say two to three months. Um, and, if, and if anyone's interested in learning more about the home study process or the profile process, um, John Charles actually handles the entire profile process. So he could speak to that at some point too. Yeah, uh, actually I wanted to ask, maybe it's a question to John Charles. Um, is there like a, a secret that you can see that uh, if somebody posted like some sort of pictures or something that they write that they, they make them uh, be matched faster? First of all, there is no there's no secret formula. There, there are what I call barriers that we need to be aware of that we should try to remove as much as possible, such as objections. So, for example, politics, something that I would not recommend someone talk about in their profile. But the truth about an adoption profile is that the glass can be half empty for someone and half full for someone else. That sounds like cliche, but it's the truth. A pregnant individual looking at profiles may have a criteria of what she wants that only that particular profile can offer. And then it doesn't really matter if the pictures are wonderful, It doesn't really matter if the text is written beautifully. If she falls in love with that one detail, it could be the wallpaper in the kitchen (laughs) or it could be the socks you're wearing. If she falls in love with that, that's it. She doesn't even know that's the reason. But she's going to fall in love with you and she's going to want to choose you. So really the secret is to be who you are. Just present yourselves in your best possible scenario and avoid controversial topics that's the one thing just like at a party where if you want to be happy you don't bring out certain 
topics. Certain that, presidents. You know, exactly. Right. Yeah. So, so saying you need to have a MAGA baby is probably not a good idea. But setting <laughs> setting that setting that aside, um, I, I would ask a little bit more specifically in your discussions with um, what do you call the the, the birth mothers? Um, uh, they're they're pre- typically um, if they're pregnant, considering adoption, we call them pregnant individuals, and we we try not to call them birth mothers or it. birth parents until they've decided to make an adoption. The plan. good news but, is but you can be sometimes. almost sure that they're women, so you don't necessarily have to say individuals. But okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. So um, there were a few sort of uh, categories that seem important, like, uh, and I'm I'm interested in knowing what kind of responses you've gotten. So when you ask them, um, if you had to balance things like the financial stability of the prospective uh, parents against um, the geography of them against, um, I don't know, uh, racial and religious backgrounds, um, what seems to play more than what? in these uh in these discussions and and interviews that you've had over the years there is no rhyme or reason we've had we've had a couple they were jehovah witnesses coming to the program and guess what they were chosen because they are jehovah witnesses and and they were chosen by a pregnant woman who was also jehovah witness so that was their secret that was their point of interest that connected them to that pregnant person it's really there is it's anything it's really anything so yeah and i and i i am i just wanted to add on i am i'm really happy to say that for the most part we really hear from pregnant individuals that they just want a loving family and if they want to choose they just want to look at profiles of loving families if they don't want to choose which doesn't happen a lot but every once in a while there is someone who knows they want to make an adoption plan but they don't want to choose that's just too hard for them at that moment um, so then the agency will choose the longest waiting family at that point um, but really you know over the years there every once in a while there's someone who has more specific criteria whether they maybe they'd prefer someone who lives in a city or somebody who lives in the country or they'd prefer someone who already had kids or someone who didn't. Um, so there have been there have been cases, don't get me wrong, where they are specifically looking for a few criteria when they imagine what type of family they'd want to place their child with. Um, but really more often than not, it just truly is that they want a loving family. And then as they review the profiles, as John Charles said, something will stand out to them. All right, well, that one will thing- just make them feel connected. All right. Well, one thing that would totally stand out is the gay elephant in the room. So right. I was just about to ask that question. So let's <laughs> let's get into too, let's yeah. get into gays. <laughs> let's let's by all means let's do talk gays. Talk about our controversial topic. Yeah. So when I first started um, over 15 years ago, we really had to make sure we didn't bring in too many gay families because we were hearing not not all the time, but once in a while there would be, you know, pregnant individuals who just wanted to place with a hetero couple. That was just what they had in mind when they were considering adoption. So we felt that some of the same sex families weren't getting as many opportunities. Um, so we managed that really carefully, again, to make sure people weren't waiting too long. I am so happy to report that that has changed so much over the years. Honestly, I mean, everything ebbs and flows. Just when we think we have a we have a statistic or we have something we can really hang our hats on, it changes. But 
more often than not, over the past several years, we have had women requesting same-sex families. And when that's not the case, again, it goes back to, I just want a loving family. So they're looking at all families, whether it's two moms or two dads or a mom and a dad, whatever, whatever that family makeup is. So to address the elephant, I think it used to be way more of an issue than it is now. And I honestly think that in some ways, you know, being two dads is actually a little more sought after now. Yeah, we are pretty fabulous. Let me just say. Uh, Well, I can tell. I can totally tell. (laughs) And Sarah, you may not realize it, but it actually, that actually fits with my adoption story of my first daughter. And that was 14 years ago. Our birth mother chose us specifically because we were a gay couple. And that's almost 15 years ago. What did she tell you when you first discussed this? She said that what she wanted to remain the mother she said she only wanted gay couples and it had to be male gay couples in her particular situation what's that why because her uncle was elderly and they were a gay couple and they always wanted to adopt and they couldn't because of the laws of 20 30 years ago so they sort of like aged out of being possible of being uh, adopting a child, so she wanted a male same-sex couple to honor the, her gay uncle. Oh, that's lovely. That's amazing. I like that. <laughs> that was the reason she chose us. I mean, she looked at other profiles, but we won. I have not had access to the site because I am not a, uh, a private investigator. What is it? A pregnant individual. No, but um, you can... You can... Could I? I couldn't go through. I can go and see through through the couples. So my question is: um, Can a pregnant individual filter? Can she actually say, "Hey, look, I don't want to look through all the couples. Show me uh, white uh, Christians in northeastern United States." She can do that, not from a technological standpoint, but she can she work can, with one of our case managers to, to really let us know. And I will just let you know that um, other agencies do allow that technical filtering to be done on their website. The reason we don't is because we we will work with anyone to find their dream family for their baby. So, right. you know, she could put in the filters on our website and they could be very, very specific because that's what's important to her. And if we don't have any families that are active right that second, she, she won't be able to look at any families. Right. But we we might have families that might fit her criteria that might actually be the perfect match who are working on their home study and she's not due for three or four months so they have time to get their home study done or they're just finishing up their profile so we have families that aren't on the website yet that are working hard they're in the process that also could be an option to pregnant individuals so the case manager that is working with her would help her work through what's important to her and we would do our best to find a family for her sometimes that means going outside the agency and we have been around almost 40 years so we have a network of professionals throughout the country. So that that is really important to us. We will do whatever we can to help find the best family for someone's baby if they decide they want to make an adoption plan. If I am uh, looking at private adoption, um, how do I decide which, other than you guys going on a podcast, thank you for joining us, <laughs> how, how, for us. <laughs> how, do, how do I figure out who I should go to? I mean, you know, are there, are there ratings of these organizations? Uh, how do I know how many um, uh, uh, pregnant individuals are actually looking at you guys versus some of the other entities that are in this space? I, yeah. can, I can ask that based on my personal experience only because every case is a different case. We wanted an agency that felt ethical, 
and we studied about it, and we visited workshops and seminars, and we read about it, and we asked around, and no matter what, for about four years of our research, no matter what, friends and adoption somehow was always on the top of those answers. John Charles, this one's for you. I guess why did you why did you guys choose the this route versus like surrogacy? That's a great question. Uh, I have an adopted uncle. It's my mother's brother was adopted. So adoption was a very comfortable um, experience in my life. I never felt the need to be a biological father. And my husband also has a adopted sister and the same idea. So for us, surrogacy was not even a question. We just never even considered it. It was adoption from the beginning. I've been asked this question um, very pointedly by people who have said to me, you know, no offense, Alex, but how could you do IVF when there are so many children who need a home? And I guess I want to ask you guys a similar question in the way you do it. Um, you got all these kids who are two and three and seven years old and nine years old in the foster system. And does anybody ever come to you and say, for God's sake, shouldn't we be getting those those kids adopted first? What's the answer to that? Nobody has ever come to me and said that, but I will say we have tried to do a lot of work, um, some successfully and some not so successfully with our local foster care agencies over the years, because I, I actually believe and Friends in Adoption believes that if more individuals were given their options prior to their children um, being placed in the foster care system, that we wouldn't end up with so many two, three, five, seven-year-olds in the system. Um, so I do think that that is, that is an area where we can work together, um, where, you know, I consider friends in adoption to be experts in domestic infant adoption, and I consider the foster care agencies to be experts in, you know, attempting reunification, and if that doesn't work, finding homes for older kids. Um, so I do think that we can work together, and I do think it starts with making sure that everyone knows that no matter what their situation is, no matter why they're thinking that they might not be in a position to parent right now, um, whether it's because they they are able to make the decision for themselves or because the alternative is that the foster care system will take their child into custody. I think every woman needs to know that adoption is an option. So I do think that we could all work together just kind of along the lines of your questions because everyone wants to see that every child has a home and in a perfect world, every child has permanency with their forever family from day one. At what um, stage of pregnancy are most of your pregnant individuals when sh when they start looking uh, at this at this solution all over the place? Yes. And I do want to just say, I know it might seem like we're answering some of your questions with there is no answer, but the reality is we see everything and we meet everyone where they're at. So, um, you know, just like prospective adoptive families actually have so many choices on how to build their family. Pregnant individuals have so many choices on what they're going to do and, and they come to us from all different walks of life and at all different stages. So to answer your question, I would say that we have we have individuals who call in who say they think they might be pregnant. They're that early on. They're scared. They don't know what to do. No matter what stage they're at, we, their case manager is there to provide whatever they need, whatever will help them the most at that time. Um, at, you know, information about adoption, information about all of their options, um, you know, support services. If they do decide to parent, we can help them find resources. Uh, we work a lot with Planned Parenthood. If they want information on abortion, we can help them with those resources uh -huh. too. 
So we really do, we support every option that is available to a pregnant individual who's considering all their options. Now, I do want to say on the far end, we do get calls or texts. We got a text at 5.30 a.m. on Sunday <laughs> from a woman who had just given birth at a hospital and wow. wanted to make an adoption plan. Right. Yep. Well, so before so we, we get truly... to that one, which is wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess what I was what I was getting at, and you 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 went there, so thank you for going there. What I was getting You're at welcome. is how, how many women um, do you think there are, at least the ones who come to you, who are putting their kids up for adoption because – abortion is not possible for them they just won't do it versus they really don't want to do it because they want the the opportunity for their child to um you know to be taken into a loving family to me it seems like there is a bit of a a question there about you know if i feel like i shouldn't be pregnant um but i simply cannot bring myself to terminate the pregnancy because of the way i was raised or whatever versus the more um the plus side of saying I have this thing that I want to do for uh, some other, for other people. You know, I, we, we hear everything, you know, we, we talk to hundreds of individuals a year and we do have some that say I'm, I'm early on, I'm considering all my adopt, all my options and abortion is one option for me. And of course, again, we support that. Um, and then we do have some individuals that say, I know abortion is technically an option, but I could never do that. And so again, I mean, everyone is so different and we just support and respect wherever they're coming from. Um, and I don't necessarily think that someone who, decides that they aren't going to have an abortion will then definitely make an adoption plan. I, you know, I think that's the other thing that's tough too, when you talk about, you know, wanting to do something good for, for another family. I I definitely think that I'm sure a lot of people feel that way, but what we really try to focus on is what they think is best for the baby and best for themselves so that they make the right decision because, you know, they might be working with us for months and months and months, and they might change their mind a hundred times during that time. Um, So we really try to make sure that we provide the counseling necessary so they feel they're making the right decision for them and the baby. Um, And just to kind of go back to, to your last question too, about how some people might say, Oh, there's so many children that need homes, you know, in the foster care system. Don't, don't you want, you know, those children to, to get the help they need? Um, and I'm totally paraphrasing. I don't mean to quote you, but I think it, it's kind of a similar thing from that perspective. We never want adoptive families to feel like they're saving a child. We want them to go with the route of adoption because they can't wait to be parents. And this is the path they've chosen for parenthood. Um, so similarly, we never want the pregnant individuals to feel like, even though that might be part of what they end up feeling because they decide on adoption for other reasons, they might feel like, well, this is great. At least I gave this family a child um, that we want to make sure that's not their primary reason for doing it. And that we just keep the focus on them and what their decision is throughout the process. Yeah. Have you, during the process, have you had any um, pregnant individuals maybe change their mind at like the last minute or like halfway through the process? Yes. And so we do, we, about five or six times a year, we will have a situation where there's a match. So she, she had decided that she was going to move forward with adoption. And then she decided before the baby was placed that she couldn't move forward. Um, about once a year, and again, this is this ebbs and flows, but about once a year, we actually have a situation that 
they're all very difficult, but this is probably a little bit more difficult. Um, a situation where she actually does place the baby for adoption. So she signs all the legal paperwork and the baby is placed with the adoptive family. And there's typically a 30 day revocation period. And about once a year, we will see where someone will change their mind during the revocation period. So that that is devastating oh, to the adoptive boy. family because the baby's in their home. Um, so that again, does happen about once a year. And when that happens to our families, we, we support them, we do whatever we can. It's, it's unimaginable, but they do get through it and they do go on to adopt again. And then they typically say that there's a reason for everything because now they, they can't imagine not having the child that they have now. Um, so it's definitely, you know, it's not for the faint of heart. It's, it's, it is very, very difficult, but ridiculously rewarding is, is what we typically say. Well, parenting ain't for the faint of heart anyway, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have a cold question that related to it. Um, if a child goes back to his uh, pregnant mother, what happens to the fee that uh, the parents pay? That is a great question. So the agency fee that a family pays with friends in adoption is good until they adopt and have a finalized adoption. So they never pay another agency fee. There will probably be some minor expenses, which I mean, any money lost is, is not okay, but it's minimal in the big picture, um, just related to that specific case that may be lost. So for example, if um, there was money paid towards you know, the attorney for this pregnant individual that was considering adoption or money paid towards legally allowable expenses like food, maternity clothes, that kind of a thing. Um, that money related specifically to that case would be lost. And then we would try to help the family take the failed adoption tax credit, which is sometimes an option. I, we actually just had a call with a family earlier today to help them with that. They had a fall through and then hopefully they'll adopt successfully soon. And you should really be able to take both credits, one for the failed adoption and one for the successful. But I'm not I'm not a licensed tax preparer, but we do try to help the families with that. We'll just cook the books on that one. Yeah. <laughs> it's a podcast. I never say that. <laughs> um, okay, we yeah. Get creative, we <laughs> we almost uh, ran out of time, but I, I have a, just a, a general question. Are you following the, the, all the news about the adoption? Uh, Tennessee's governor just signed uh, an anti-LGBT adoption law, and now it seems that it's going to be the same way in Texas and Georgia. I'm, I'm kind of freaked out about these laws. It's, it's very, very disheartening, and I think that you know, luckily for us so far, we, even though we work throughout the country, um, we, our main office is in Vermont, or we have another main office in New York, and we typically do all of our paperwork in New York, which seems to be a very open-minded state. So I'm just really hoping that that never happens here because we can work throughout the country as long as we're kind of abiding by our laws and our New York license. Um, with that being said, I, I feel terribly for the families in those states that want to look at all their options for family building. And I, I will say, you know, we, we can work throughout the country and we've talked about, you know, how do we try to reach those families who are further away? We're, we're in the Northeast. Um, and, and we've really been talking about that. And, and then, you know, it was around the same time we were brainstorming about that, that you reached out Jan about the podcast. So we're thrilled to be able to get more information out on a national level um, and just let people know that even if their home state might have some really just awful laws, um, we can try 
to work with them and, and make adoption happen for them. Are you saying that pregnant individual is in Texas and Jan and I, for no possible reason, decide that we want to adopt uh, another child? Um, here, Don't say no possibility. There's no possibility um, in in Los Angeles that we this could, is us. Alex. No chance um, that we that we could actually work through. We and the pregnant individual in Texas could work through you despite the laws in Texas to adopt her baby? Yes. And actually, Texas is a state that we work in a lot with pregnant individuals. And I I honestly believe that it's because we do have so many diverse families and those families might not be available to her with local Texas agencies. So as long as the state that the birth mother lives in allows for choice of law, then she can choose to sign New York paperwork with the licensed New York agency. And then that licensed New York agency can place the baby into whatever state the adoptive family resides in. Oh, and well, that's, that's, that's great. a very simplified explanation. Obviously, we have our agency attorney, the adoptive parents attorney, and the birth mother's attorney, making sure all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. But we have been very successful, again, in working throughout the country because of that. So what was the workshop? Yeah, tell us you- about the workshop. Okay, so I just I do want to mention the workshop because unfortunately, I think it's a little bit of a hindrance to families who live farther away, but I just want to talk really quickly about how great it is. Um, and it goes back to the question about how you decide which agency to choose. You have to talk to them. You, you maybe you decide who to talk to based on their numbers or their websites or their reviews, but you have to just speak with them in person, start over the phone through email, get to know them. and then we we talk with a lot of people who want to adopt. We answer as many questions as we can. We put them in touch with other families. families. We do whatever we can to give them the information they want and need. But then when they're ready to kind of go to the next step, we have what we call a get acquainted workshop. And I think we're one of the only agencies that do this in-person workshop in today's day and age with technology, but it is so valuable. We hold it typically in New York um, and it's a one and a half day workshop. Um, the, the people who are hoping to adopt or considering adopting meet the staff. We meet those people. We have a presentation. We all eat dinner together. The workshop continues the next day. So not only do you really get to know the people that you're considering working with to build your family, but you also hear from a lot of different speakers. So not only do we have adoptive family speakers at the Get Acquainted workshop, but we have birth parent speakers. So to actually be able to meet and listen to different stories, but you also meet other prospective adoptive parents who might adopt. around the same time you do who then you know your your kids might get to know each other you can keep in touch over the years so it's a really great great experience awesome listen this has been great thank you very much thank you, thank you. great thank, thank you, you. And if, if Spencer and Steven have any other questions please feel free to reach out to us we're available thank and you any, any listener I would like to offer my, you know I I can be found on Facebook and I I'm on the uh, gay fathers group on Facebook if anybody has any questions in particular about open adoption with you we didn't even touch that subject today and it's like there's just so much information about adoption I'm available I'll be more happy to text with you or talk with you on the phone um, no problem just reach out and I'll be available thank, thank you thank so you. much thank you take care guys thank have you, a good everyone. day bye bye you bye You're listening to Daddy Square, the Gay Dads podcast. We're coming back from the interview. I'm Jan. I'm Alex. And I'm Spencer. And Steven. So I kind of 
understood now what's the difference between a nonprofit organization and an agency. So the nonprofit organization actually has the humanitarian aspect when they use their money to help individuals who are getting pregnant and have problems and can't afford it or need to go to doctors or need housing and stuff like that. So they do use the money not not just for profit. Yes. Well, it's literally not for profit. Yeah. Totally. Well, it's like the puppy industry. We have all these designer dogs you can get, or you can get a rescue. That's yes, sure. So it's- I mean, you know, as much as it's um, sometimes uncomfortable to use analogies like that, that is exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. They do have designer dog rescues too. Uh, really? Well, that's true. Well, that's true. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah. because there are designer dogs that, for some reason, end up being, you know, yeah. But but what I like about it that the 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 fact that they help these women regardless of their decision whether to give it for adoption or not so right. it's not like an industry around adoption it's an organization around women who are pregnant right so this is how i see it or anyway. for some reason as she insisted on calling them pregnant individuals, individuals. and i'm like i think we're pretty clear about what gender they're going to be let's start with that and that's one area where you don't have to you know concern yourself but Okay, we'll call them pregnant. I used individuals. to concern myself with that. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I'm telling yeah, you. you can don't worry trying. about it. Um, also, the fact that there are grants. So I actually looked at uh, Help Us Adopt, which is what she mentioned. And turns out that they have like four cycles per year. So you can, it doesn't matter like what time of year, you can uh, uh, fill an application and just uh, send it in. And they tell you like when, when are they selecting and when you receive the, the grant. So you can actually plan it if you are eligible for a grant. Um, right. So you can actually plan that. You know, one of the things I have been really fascinated about and uh, that has really struck me in the several different episodes of the podcast where we've talked about adoption in one way or another is that there is uh, in, in Foster to Adopt, there is this basic concept that the goal is reunification of the family, which means that when you foster, quote, foster to adopt, you're literally getting into it with an understanding that the goal is that it won't work, right? I mean, yeah. that, that, that the goal is that it, they will go back to uh, the mother or parents uh, that they came from. And I, I have to say, like, I can't even wrap my head around. Yeah. Would you guys even consider that? Being it's an interim caretaker? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know that I could. We're such busy people, you know, it's a huge commitment to want to even be parents. But, but I, if you could. I've known people. I've known people who... One woman, she had five kids and she had seven or eight foster kids over 20 years. And, you know, some were there for a short period. Others ended up staying for a longer period. And look, we know, we know, you know, famous people, but Angelina Jolie, really? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, so there's, and she, she just, it was in her blood. She was really good with teens, especially troubled teens. Wow. She really is good. She had a, a gift and... She was she was good at getting inside their head and their heart and helping them feel understood and shift out of difficult, abusive, problematic homes. My God, it sounds like she she came into it knowing that it's going to be temporary. Yeah, so she, that's she what was, her goal. It wasn't yeah. like having another kid. She had five of her own and, right. and wasn't necessarily yeah needing or wanting more, but that was sort of her public calling, her mission. She felt. Right, and I, I, I feel like that that's the split that I can maybe understand. In other words, if you're fostering to foster, 
okay. But if you're fostering with the hope, then my God. That could be heartbreaking. Yeah, I don't know the, that I can do that the right now. The yo-yo, yeah. Wow, yeah. Especially with an infant, that would be really tough. Right, yeah. right. It yeah. was uh, eye-opening for me to see that there really are, even in just Los Angeles County alone, so a many. lot of children who are in need of homes. Yeah. And, and it, it did make me uh, think, oh, maybe that's an option if it, if it called to me that way. I've known people who've adopted through programs, specifically here in Los Angeles, who are super happy parents. Um, you know, at the end of the day, just like you said, family is, is about the love that you create together mm-hmm. and the home that you build and the, the life and the connection. So whether it's genetic or adoption, I think it all comes down to the commitment to parenting and providing uh, an environment where love is present and the children are supported to become the best possible versions of themselves. What's interesting is that in our relationship, uh, mine and Jan's, um, we have two children, one of whom is biologically mine and one of whom is biologically his. Which we've talked about that. I think it's cool. It's pretty cool, right? And what is interesting to me is it has allowed me to ask myself the question, how important is the biological connection to me? Do I have some connection or sense about one of them that I don't have with the other. And so here's what I'll say about that. There are differences for sure. Knowing that one of them is genetically mine causes... And the other one who you basically adopted because and you the other have one no I, genetic... That, uh, that, that, that's right. That's yeah. right. The response is not simple. It's not like, well, this one is biologically mine, so I love him more, or I think It's actually the opposite. Sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes it, it's so yeah, confusing. It's, they they what the bring out the karmic It's a mirror of self. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So Sometimes so, you don't want that mirror. Totally. Are you kidding? You think I need to see that when he's throwing himself to the floor and shrieking and snots coming out of his nose? That's no. me. You're like, I was not like that. <laughs> oh, yes, I was. But back to adoption, it is the reason it has given me a window into adoption, even though we didn't adopt, that when I look at my son who is not biologically mine, my heart overflows at exactly the same level that it does for the other one. And I say, oh, okay, I get it. You know, it, it, it wouldn't take more than a few minutes for that to happen to me when I adopted. At least I think so. I think you're right. I think once that bond is formed, there's something unexplainable and magical that exists. And when I think back to my aunt and and my cousins, really the four, I get just as excited when any one of them comes around and they all feel like family. Right. And they've taken on characteristics of the parents. They might not be biological, but they definitely belong in that family. Right. Well, at that point, it becomes environmental too. Like there's studies out there where children that have been adopted and brought into families will develop and or um, characteristics characteristics but then also diseases oh yeah right certain there are some genetic factors yeah. passed yeah. down for wow. sure that you know normally whatever they develop is genetic and the fact that you know you have this parent and adoptive child developing the same thing it all just becomes environmental right. at that point that's pretty crazy yeah it's crazy that's All right, before we go, I just want to m- mention another topic that uh, was pretty heavy for Alex and I this week, which is the competition games. You know, uh, um, Candyland and Shoots and Ladders. Yeah, and Candyland just got caused like a, a, a mini world war 
Well, here, look, so, <laughs> have so you not, introduced uh, them to Monopoly? Yeah, <laughs> thank yeah. God. Um, but but I think what's really interesting that I'm working through in my head is so our kids, as a reminder, four years old, twins, and competition is always an interesting, challenging thing. The kids are competing from the time they come out of the womb. That's happening already. They're competing for everyone, everything, right? Especially when they're twins, they side by side from birth, right? Um, so the question is, when do you introduce games that actually just make that competition the actual purpose of the activity? Well, we did introduce it. It didn't go so well. Are we trying to do it too soon? I think soon? that the difference between the fact that they were born and they're starting competing, and we always said, we love you the same, and this is a game where somebody wins. So now right. we authorize a winner right. and a loser, and that's the problem. It was a crap um, show. Yes. So <laughs> we're still trying to figure out if you guys have any advice, we'd love to take it on how to introduce competition and losing especially losing uh, to our kids, please write to us at hello at daddysqr.com. And you can also uh, text us or leave us a voicemail, which we'd love to play here on our show. It's uh, 213-793-8939. And we got some interesting uh, emails this week, Alex. You read them. I did. Wonderful. Oh, by the way, if you can take a minute... And review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It will really help us reach other gay dads and and uh, prospective gay dads. And after all, that is actually why we're here. Um, and for the for help. the someone someone who actually commented on Apple Podcasts that uh, she wants to be our neighbor, the the house across from us That's, is actually for sale. It's so. only four point so. two million dollars well you can so. get it for less like we we'll probably have a deal somewhere <laughs> anyway. really for sale <laughs> yeah, it is it is it's, it's a nice house but come on it has a pool it has and a we'll pool. come hang out at the pool all the time because we don't have well, we have a we have a we have a bathtub <laughs> that's it from us Stephen Spencer thank you so much we're gonna um, uh, keep an eye on your journey and we'd love to see uh, what you guys decide and how's the way things gonna go thank how do you, you feel thank about you. having a microphone in the birthing room <laughs> just just, <laughs> just think about reality it. cameras right, exactly. totally. uh, good luck I mean I think that would be a lot up to mom <laughs> who's, who's like, birthing who's... the microphone doesn't want to go into that <laughs> Totally not. Gross. All right, Have enough you guys of that. ever watched a live birth? We watched yeah. two. Okay. So well, you, you we, didn't, th- we didn't watch it. We didn't actually watch it. Happen. That's no, what I mean. Did you like watch we the behind. actual we, birth? Like the we thing, were on the, the, the head crowning, no, the pushing, no, I the umbilical cord. I watched it on YouTube. I did. I watched okay. it on YouTube because um, it, it, it's, it's more, it's cleaner to watch it oh, on it YouTube. <laughs> um, and it was once I had watched it on YouTube, I said, oh, I understand I will stand about five feet away during the actual birth because I do not need yeah, to. Yeah, we stand on the head side. Yeah, I don't need to yeah. get up, up in that action. Yeah, I don't know that I would want no. to no. see it. You was, don't want to see it. It was, I have to it's tell you. It's quite a miracle. I mean, it's I mean, a miracle, but wow. the way the medical profession does it makes it a pretty horrific looking. Thing. Well, that's what we saw because we had twins and she had to do it not like not not in a room but in a, actually like oh. a surgery. It, she it was, was in an OR. Well, it wasn't intended to be her, at the which beginning. Was really awful. She oh. was strapped down. There were machines going ping. 
them all over Listen, the place. Listen, I just, was... the whole three days that we were yeah, in the, the hospital. medical industry. Yeah, two and a half days that we were there. Every time I looked at her, I started crying. Like, I, you couldn't unsee what she's been through. Yes, although, to give don't forget, you had just received two baby children, so you were crying <laughs> when the wind blew. But <laughs> fair right. enough. All right, gentlemen. Guys, thank you thank so much. Thank you so much. Uh, Take bye care. Bye, bye guys. If you're thinking about having kids, start your search at loveisfamily.com by ORM Fertility. For over 30 years, ORM Fertility has been at the forefront of fertility services, providing personalized care and helping all family types grow. ORM are honored to be a trusted resource for the gay community on their journey to parenthood and are now sharing all they know with you at loveisfamily.com. ORM's expert team gives gay parents-to-be all the information they need and guides them through their unique fertility journey, providing expertise, education, and support every step of the way. Over a thousand gay couples and singles from all over the world have started or grown their family with ORM's support and fertility and financial expertise. Find out more at loveisfamily.com, ORM Fertility's online resource for gay dads and LGBTQ family building. Daddy, that's QR.com.